Hello and welcome back to Flash Knockdown, Series 3, Episode Number 1. We're in London, England this week as Anthony Joshua meets Robert Hellanius at the O2 live on the zone. And here's what we have coming up for you all on today's show. Mark Tibbs is up first in our brand new segment, Food Fight. Who will he pick as his fantasy dinner party guest? It's always carnage when Derek Chisora is in town. I had a great chat with Del Boy ahead of this weekend's return to the Lions Den. Unbeaten Aussie heavyweight Dempsey McKean, he takes on our new quiz. Mike Costello recalls from ringside AJ's dramatic fight with Andy Ruiz in New York. And combat sports journalist legend Ariel Hawani joins us for the best thing to happen in boxing last week. So don't go anywhere. Derek, good to see you back in London after a bit of a topsy-turvy couple of days over the weekend. You caught the headlines as always, which we'll come on to talk about. But what was your reaction when you heard the news that Dillian White had been forced out of this fight through some adverse findings? You know, my 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 theory is like this: to all those athletes, you know, like uh, especially boxing, if you have to take something to get more strength or to improve your ability to be more fear to fight somebody else's son or woman or girl that's not right do you understand boxing is already a hard sport already basically to beat somebody else up to win to cheat basically i understand why as someone like yourself and who's given his life to the sport does it upset you yeah, big time i'm big time it upsets me because i've never taken anything you know in my whole um, um, all my years of boxing, you know, apart from I go to a rave or to a beat, maybe I might take time. But after that, that's it. I've never taken anything when I'm in the gym. What's your name ever in the frame to step in and fight your friend? No, 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 no I was just messing around. I was kicking, I was just uh, entertaining the, the the public out there, you know, because we really want the, the momentum of the show to just die down and people to lose hope. When I came out, just talking crap anyway, you know, so so people to be just like, yeah, excited. Back in London, yes. the from Mary's the last time you were here, though, you returned to Winnie Ways and what was a special night in front of your kids when you beat Kugrat and Bullet. I tell you what, my mind is on the O2 right now. I uh, I just buried my best friend yesterday, you know, Daniel. And uh, I think today's the day of me just recovering from the the, the rollercoast I've had in the last couple of days. Tomorrow I'll be back to normal. Right now, I'm just floating. News that I know you were a thinker. Is it news that you feel that you'll be able to, the experience you've been through this week, to, to take strength into the ring with you? Yeah. Listen, for me, all I listen to you, go there, O2 Arena, it don't matter where I'm going, and just do my thing. Gerald Washington. And I knocked the lights out of the pool, I don't know about that guy. He said that he thinks you're going to bring the heat, he's going to handle business and box around you. What do you expect? The guy's going to run. I know he's going to run. Excuse me, there's a sprinter. I know he's going to run. Is it always uh, a case for you, Dale, that you expect fighters like Gerald to, to talk a good game, but perhaps be different when the bell rings? Yeah, different. Different, bro. I remember when we spoke before the Pulev fight and you said it was important that your little girls did come to the fight. Were they at the Fury fight and are they going to be there on Saturday? My girls are going to come to all my fights now. We know lose, it don't matter, they come. They love it. You know, my oldest daughter went out of the Fury fire and she got up so upset. On the way home, yeah, she was in like, she was sniffing. 
And she goes, is daddy going to retire now? And she came and asked me, you know, daddy going to retire? Like, no, she goes, yes. You know, they, they love it. You know, they, they, they love it. So they'll be back this weekend. And, and we talked about strength earlier that you get, but does it make you feel good? No, 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 no. Man, listen, I, I just, I, I just got, I just, I, I love, uh, I love seeing my girls sing what I do. You know, like my, my three-year-old, you know, uh, today, uh, Nicole's at my house doing my supplements and everything. And then she, I was sitting outside in the garden. She goes, "Daddy, Daddy, come! This is for you uh, to take to 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 eat and drink, and then take it to mandarin." I was like, and I was like, "What's mandarin to my wife?" And she goes, "Oh, mandarin, because I, I my 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 oldest daughter learn, she's learning mandarin, but she learns it in the in the, in the gym I go in in Hampstead, and then she always thinks the gym is called the mandarin." And she has to take these when you go to a mandarin and stuff like that. So it was quite, it's quite, it's quite cool because she's understanding now. I know you're in this sport, Dale, obviously for, for different reasons. But a lot of the, a lot of it is to give to the fans who adore you. They still adore you. I'm in for the money, but <laughs> I did say other things. I didn't specify. And then I'm in for the fans because fans love it, bro. You know, uh, I enjoy it, bro. I enjoy it. When you were at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, despite the result, the fine for the heavyweight championship of the world and being sung out of that arena by all those fans. That must have been a, a special moment for you still. Yeah, a special moment. I can still, I can still get another, I can get another arena fight if I want to. You know, because I, you know, my, my, my point is, it's called entertainment business. People, people, people forget. You know, you can be a fighter with 26 and 0, but you can cancel out of phone box. So you're not doing that great. We know there's fighters out that we see right now who are amazing, you know, but they're not selling out. So, and and this is my advice to all these young fighters coming up, yeah. A promoter has to invest in you. At the ten at the same time as he's investing in you, he has to figure out how he's gonna get his money he's putting in you. You know. Uh, for me they put money in me and I realize, hold on, I wanna get paid more money, so I come up with antics, you know. You got fighters out there who think boxing will get them more money than anything. No, it's a lie. The more numbers you put on, on, on the bums you put on sits you get, is the more money you have. You just don't get it. You know, your fighters will just think that if, if you can't sell out your call, you're in the wrong business. If you can't sell out the little dinner shows, you're in the wrong business. You understand? You know, I want to put a fight in your call for myself. You know, I, 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 I want to speak to Eddie, say I want my next fight to be in your call. Definitely great. You know, tickets will be going up for four, five, 500 pounds each ticket. See what happens. I think Eddie's always nervous when you sit next to him with the top table. Who are right next to him today? Any antics today planned? No, man. I'm uh, right now. I'm just moaning, bro. I'm not like dude, bro. I'm just in there and just, I'm just on the down up. To be honest with you, you know, bro. The best is no antics, bro. I like. I love Eddie. You know, I love Eddie. You know, Eddie. Eddie. Eddie's cool. You know, because so much shit I want to say, but I'm not. I'm not allowed to. About Eddie. I'm about, about everything. <laughs> There's so much shit I want to live. I was told not to. You know, they told me not, I'm telling you, they told me not to. Okay. I think AJ, it's obviously public knowledge is going to be involved in a big fight, hopefully in December the new year with Deontay Wilder. I'm sure you might be involved in that Saudi card as well. In what ways, though, can he not take his eyes off the ball, in your opinion, against Vegas? And this will be, I'll be Jesus. If AJ don't knock this guy in, in third round, yeah, it's going to be an embarrassment. Yeah, AJ needs to knock this guy one or two or three. So we're going to have early night home and have five guys, that's it. You know, I don't want him to be taking in and trying to learn in these shots. No, 
go in there, put his guy to sleep, Bobby's your uncle, let's go home. That is it. You know, you had time to, you had time to mess around with Franklin. With Franklin, he was learning, getting his shots off. Now he's coming so so geared up in his mind. So he's got a, a guy he hasn't been training for, a taller guy now, yeah. And now he has to hold his guy on. Why do you think he needs that so much? He, he, he needs that. He, he, he don't need that, but he needs that. The public need that of him. Do you understand? It's not for him. We need it. You know, the fans need it. You know, and then next, this is what I'm trying to say to you, but there's so much I want to say, but I can't say, bro. You know, because I didn't want him to fight Dylan Warren. Well, well, you can't say why? No, I told him, we don't want, we don't want you to fight Dylan White. You know, I told, I told, I told, I told Eddie, I told all these guys. I know boxing very well. I told him, let's not fight Dylan White. We don't need to fight Dylan White. Let's get Gerald Washington. We'll do this quickly. We sell out a card in different shows. And then we'll get it down to our and straight away, boom, bada, boom. But nobody, nobody listens to me. Have you ever seen Hellenius since the fight? No, no, it's not his, but you know, I, I don't have beef with Robert Hellenius. You don't understand. I do not have beef with him. He's a fighter like me. They gave it to him. That's it, great. You know, he's a fighter like me. I've never had any walkovers in boxing. I never had that, anything in boxing. I don't want easy rides. Do you understand? I don't want easy rides. So it was one of those things. Final word, Del. You mentioned Gerald Washington, what you want to do this weekend. What happens to him on Saturday? He on a run, bro. We're gonna have to go hunting. Will you find him? I'll find him. No way. Inside the distance, you knock him out. I, but I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. But I'm, I'm, I don't want to go point. Well, it's that time of the show once again. We revisit and discuss the best thing to happen in boxing last week. Not short of discussion points for this week's episode, with a couple of shouts from you, the fans, as always. Joining us this week, boxing, MMA sports journalism royalty he's going to love this introduction let me announce to the show ariel helwani joins us live from across the pond ariel first of all how are you sir it's uh, it's great to catch up oh it's wonderful to be here i've been uh, waiting very impatiently for the invite uh i've been throwing out feelers and i keep getting denied so finally i guess it's uh, such a quiet time in the world of boxing you you found a little slot for me so i appreciate it very much it's an honor to be here is this does this rank right up there for you in terms of your career achievements this is a big deal this is a big like i said i've been trying uh to get, i'm like sitting here with uh you know some like uh smoke things in in my hand you know like those people on the plane that they come down i don't know what those people are called but uh those red light thingies uh but here i am after a big week in dallas actually a couple big weeks i was in vegas obviously for spence crawford and then went to dallas for uh, paul diaz but this is the uh proverbial cherry on top <laughs> the cherry on top of the cake as we say over here i'll do um I do just want to ask you this question, Ariel, because it is the same for us. But when you wake up in the morning and you get to cover a sport every single day that you love, I'm sure you pinch yourself just like we do. But in what ways does that never fail to, to put a smile on your face in the morning? Well, everything is, uh, I mean, it's it's a very hectic time, right? There's a lot going on. And as you know, there's there's no off season in, in, in the fight game, boxing, MMA, whatever. So it just feels like you're on a treadmill going at like 13 and it just never stops. Uh, for me, uh, professionally, as of late, it's been really fun to expand and do more. Um, so, you know, being on the the, the weigh-in stage and interviewing uh, Spence and Crawford and going to the locker room to interview Bud Crawford after his win or being in the ring, which is something I always dreamed of doing after, you know, Paul Diaz or Serrano and, and Hardy, 
I mean, that's quite literally a dream come true for me. And you, you may not know this, but in MMA, all the, um, all the broadcasts are controlled by the promoter, not the broadcast network. In, in, uh, in boxing, it's a little bit different. So on Saturday, I wasn't working for MVP or Real Fight Inc. I was working for DAZN. And as someone who tries uh, very hard to be as impartial as possible, that's a lot more my speed than in MMA. I'd love to do that type of stuff in MMA, but I would have to work for a promoter and I think that would compromise my coverage. And so to get these opportunities now as I try to expand, and I know some people are like, what do you know about boxing? I, I knew about bo boxing was before I even knew what UFC was or what MMA stood for, because of course, all that started in 1993. I grew up in Montreal, which was a great you know, fight town, still is going to events at uh, various arenas. And so this is all just very exciting for me and getting to do different things like my my show and then travel to this event, that event, and uh, interview this guy, that guy. There are moments where I'm like, I can't, I, I, like I've, I've watched Nate Diaz for 17 years. I've never been in the ring with him or the cage with him. I've never been on the weigh-in stage being the last guy to ask him a question before the big fight. I've never had an opportunity to go in the locker room and see him moments before a fight. So all this, uh, I hope this feeling never goes away. I feel very grateful and appreciative for these opportunities. I am going to throw to producer Scott, who sits beside me now, who has some questions from the fans sent in. And uh, I think they're going to love to hear what you have to say, Ariel. So let's hand over to Scott. Yeah. So as always, we asked the fans, what was the best thing to happen in boxing last week? So we got a couple of shouts here. Um, and as they come in, Jamie, I'll pass back over to you to dissect with Ariel. So the first one, the obvious talking point, Jake Paul beating Nate Diaz last week. Well, Ariel, you were, you were ringside, as you said. The atmosphere, the experience, the fight itself. How was the entire occasion? Now you've had, what, nearly a week to, to look back on it. How was the entire occasion through the eyes of, of Ariel Helwani? The, the crowd was unbelievable. Um, kudos to that Dallas crowd and everyone who was in attendance at the American Airlines Center. You know, uh, one thing that I don't love about boxing, and, and I will also give a shout out to the uh, Dublin crowd that we were at, in uh, May, they were they were very different. But typically, like I was in Vegas for Spence Crawford, and and people are only showing up at like the co-main. First of all, you spend so much money. Why are you not watching some of these other fights, learning about the up and comers? Like if, if I'm paying 250, 400, 500, a thousand dollars, I want to watch everything. I'm going to be there from the first fight until the very last. You walk into the arena, there might be 50 people at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, it's just it doesn't make any sense. So this crowd on Saturday in Dallas reminded me of an MMA crowd. From the first fight, I mean, that place was at least 60% full. By the time the main card started, I would say it was 85%. By the time we were halfway through the main card, it was jam-packed. And I loved that. And when Nate and, and, uh, and Jake were coming out, it felt very combustible. It felt like right before a match is about to strike, like that place was going to explode. Very, very, very fun, very unique. And, you know, I know it's not cool to give Jake credit, but you do have to give him credit in this regard. Like, he wasn't fighting for Matchroom on Saturday. He wasn't fighting for another promoter. Like that's just something that he created in the last couple of years, just out of thin air, and uh, giving opportunities to great fighters, up and comers, to other fighters coming from other disciplines. Uh, a very unique thing that we are seeing. I don't know how people can be against it. I get you, you, you saying like, hey, you know, I'm more of a Spence Crawford guy. I'm more of a Taylor Cameron guy. That's what I want. I want to see Haney progress. I get that, but. All this to me is a rising tide that lifts all boats. It's all good for boxing. People are talking about boxing. They're into boxing. It's stealing headlines. I don't see how that's a bad thing. In your mind, Ariel, what is next for Jake Paul? Who do you want to see him fight next? And in what discipline? Because he's been floating the idea 
of fighting Nate Diaz in a cage. Is that crazy? To me, it's the KSI fight. And I don't care what happens on October 14th, KSI is scheduled to fight Tommy Fury. And that's a tough fight. Credit to him for taking that fight. That's a fight that's been brewing for five, six years. I don't know if there's a bigger fight out there, honestly. Um, certainly not in that influencer crossover world, whatever you want to call it. I think they could sell out Wembley. I asked KSI, he was on my show on Monday, you know, Wembley, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. He said, I would never, I would never compete in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because he's an Arsenal fan. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I appreciate his loyalty to, uh, you know, the bottlers, as I like to call them, aka the Gunners. Um, you know, Force is going to smash them on Saturday. I don't know if you guys know this. That's not a... Uh, I think it's the early kickoff. Yeah. Yeah, so that's right. One of my favorite moments ever as a as a Forest fan came when I was at the Three Arena in Dublin. They played Arsenal uh, that night. That was the win that got them that that kept them up and that put the final nail in Arsenal's coffin. Now I do suspect that Arsenal has some revenge on their minds and they're going to try and whoop their ass. But we'll always have that win on uh, what that what was that May twentieth? I think it was of twenty twenty three. In any event, uh, that to me is the biggest fight, and uh, I think it would do gigantic business. This week has been crazy. Jake and Logan going back and forth, um, you know, the Nate MMA talk. But like to me, I think he's on a path in boxing to now take an eight, nine month break and go into MMA doesn't make a ton of sense. I know he has a deal with the PFL, but uh, if it were up to me, I would say try to go for the KSI fight next. We're talking about great business, great business men who operate in that world. Conor McGregor. He's coming to the AJ fight on Saturday. He's going to be ringside. We have another deal in place, sponsorship event. He, he's he's backing his his mate, Eddie Hearn, uh, with the Forged Irish Stout, the creamiest of the cream. I've got to get all the... Wow. Uh, Does he get, the, get the pay for that? Yeah, wow. Yeah, maybe after this. <laughs> well done, well done. Hashtag um, ad. <laughs> in terms of Conor McGregor, I know I've seen him and Jake Paul having loads of rows on, on social media. I want to ask you this question, Ariel. Could Jake Paul and will Jake Paul beat Conor McGregor in a boxing match? Well, first of all, I love the uh, the partnership between Conor and Eddie. Watching them at that event, they have a very sort of uh, unique dynamic to them. So I'm happy to hear that Conor is going to be at the event on Saturday. I'm looking forward to watching it. And uh, credit to AJ for taking the fight and saving the event. I thought what he said was perfect on Wednesday. There's a lot of up-and-coming fighters who need this payday, who are counting on this payday, and, and there's a duty there. And so I give him a lot of respect for that. Um, I, I, I keep saying I feel like we're inching closer and closer to Conor versus Jake becoming a reality. Um, I mentioned yesterday, Conor has two fights left on his UFC contract, and, and it feels like he's talking about Jake a little bit more these days. A couple of years ago, when Jake came out and really started to poke the bear that is Conor McGregor, Conor would never reply to him or address him. And, uh, you know, I didn't blame him. You know, Jake was making it very personal, talking about some very personal things. And, uh, you know, in, in those instances, maybe it's best to just take the high road. But, you know, on Saturday he was watching and he was commenting and it, it just feels like we're getting closer and closer to that becoming a reality. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting on uh, October 14th, Logan Paul is fighting Conor McGregor's good friend, Dylan Dennis. If, if I'm the zone, I do everything in my power to get Conor to that event as well. And, uh, you know, Logan said on, on Tuesday, I think it was like, Connor, you're next. And so there's this interesting dynamic where it feels like Jake and Logan are going after the same opponents. What ultimately happens? You know, I learned a very uh, interesting lesson. I've been saying this for a while throughout my career. I don't make predictions. You know why? Because as you guys may know, fighters are very sensitive. It doesn't matter if they're boxers or MMA fighters, they're very sensitive. And when I was on the broadcast, our good friend Todd Grisham, right before Chris Avila fought Jeremy Stevens, said, Ariel, who's your pick in this fight? I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. 
making a prediction on the live broadcast. And so I just threw out, oh, I think Jeremy Stevens is going to win. Hours later, I get a text from Chris. Hey, when am I coming on your show to talk about your bad prediction? I knew that was going to happen. The moment I said it, I knew I was going to get some crap for it. So I'm, I'm, I'm retiring once and for all from the prediction game. I don't want any heat. I don't want any problems with everyone. I'm, I'm Switzerland. Peace and love. Peace and love. I'm going to tell Connor on Saturday ringside that you picked Jake to beat him. <laughs> and, he, and then I'll probably get a DM 30 minutes later from him. I think Scott's got uh, another, another question here, which I think you're going to like, Aaron. Uh, the next shout this week for the best thing to happen in boxing. Uh, Liam Taylor says, Wood versus Warrington being announced. This is a legit firefight. Well, this is a great fight. And I'm sure it's a fight as a boxing fan that you're excited to see, Ariel. But there is a, a carrot in the contract. We are told that Lee Wood has been told if he beats Josh Warrington, his next fight is at the city ground. I would love that. Uh, Lee Wood is tremendous. What a great win. What a great performance in uh, in May against uh, Lara. Was it in May or was it in June? No, I think it was in May. May 27th, I believe. Yeah, it was the week after Taylor Cameron uh, Memorial Day weekend here. I remember watching it at the pool. It was fantastic. And a lot of people thought he was coming back too soon. And a lot of people thought that uh, it was a mistake. And Lara, you know, cleaned his clock and all this stuff. It was a measured performance. It was uh, a mature performance. He did exactly what we had to do. Credit to him and uh, Ben Davison for that game plan. And so I really thought after that one, we were getting Lee Wood at the city ground. And, and I know I, I spoke to Eddie and the guys when I was there in Dublin, like, hey, how hard is this? And I know there's a lot at play and there's the, the schedule with the, the club and all that stuff. But I thought it was going to happen next. It actually could be better because maybe it'll be a little too chilly. Um, Maybe not. I'm trying to give them an excuse. But if he wins this one, feels like, you know, if we could do one in the spring, it would make a lot of sense. And uh, no one deserves it more than Lee Wood. He is, I mean, he's a gazillion times bigger of a fan of Nottingham Forest than I am. Of course, he's from there and, and has been repping and supporting them for so long. Probably at this point, the, the most famous fighter to come out of Nottingham for the longest time, it was a guy named Dan Hardy. Uh, of the UFC and also another MMA fighter named um, Paul Semtex Daly. They repped uh, Nottingham as well. But uh, I would love that and I would love to be there as well. You know, I've been very, very, very lucky uh, this year in particular. Like, I'm just sitting back and saying, what are the awesome fights, awesome scenes that I would like to attend? At the very top of that list, I don't change my stance, was Katie's homecoming. And uh, I still can't believe I got to be there. And we got to hang out at her manor and do the walk and talk with her. It was like one of the most fun weeks that I've ever had in my career. And then I got to do, you know, Tank Garcia. And then I got to do Paul Diaz. And then I got to go to Spence Crawford. And it's just been fun, you know, checking off these dream weeks, dream fights, dream gigs, if you will. And that would be another one. Uh, going to see a fight there. And I would hope it would be maybe like I could go to like a forest home game and then stay the week and then go to uh, a Leewood fight. And then hopefully I can like sit in the front row with Morgan Gibbs White and Brendan Johnson and Stevie Cooper, all the lads, you know, me and them just talking about, you know, the, the, the forest uh, history and the, the great days of yesteryear and the great days to come as well. Uh, that would be tremendous. Sign I'm, me up for that. Can you tell the guys that I'd like to be there? Well, I'm going to tell Eddie Ariel that he has to pick a date where Forrest are playing at home on the Sunday. So we'll do the fight on the Saturday and you're there on the Sunday. Oh, I'm not sure the, uh, the the groundsman won't be happy. Can you turn it? Yeah, can you turn it around that quickly? And the last shout this week uh, again from various. We've sort of touched on it a little bit, but the rematch is set now between Chantel Cameron being the A side, Katie Taylor being. Uh. Well, Ariel, I want to ask you this question. I asked Eddie this question the other day. When you were you sort of drawing parallels between 
fighters at the very top of their game. And I use Canelo Alvarez as an example. When he lost to Dimitri Bivol, he has been obsessed, is the word I'll use, in, in having his chance at redemption back at 175 on exactly the same terms. Can you see parallels in the mindset, the attitude of Katie Taylor to Canelo Alvarez in the sense that she wanted this rematch at exactly the same way that the first fight was in Dublin? She wants to, to run it back and beat Chantel the same way it was before. Can you Can you understand that? 1,000%, but unlike Canelo, she is taking the fight right after the loss. Canelo has at least, if in fact he does cross paths with Bivol in the future, at least his mojo is back. And, and who knows what happens on September 30th, but he, he's gotten a couple of wins under his belt now. So at least, you know, he's feeling good about himself and, you know, he's he's had a chance to, to go back and, and get a win and the confidence grows, the mojo grows, the momentum grows. Katie's going right back in there. And I've been on record to say, like, I, I didn't, look, I, I'm very open about my allegiances to Katie. I'm a fan. I also am blown away by Chantel Cameron. I'm a big fan of hers as well. That was the first time I got a chance to watch her live. And I think she boxed beautifully that night. She is incredible, really. And, and, and to do that in that setting, hostile, everyone wanted you to lose. I mean, there was probably like five people in that entire arena that wanted her to win. And she went out there and she did the job and she won fair and square. I thought, if it was up to me, Katie fight anyone. Have her fight you. Have her fight me. Have her fight a broomstick. All <laughs> the people in Dublin wanted to do that night was to celebrate Katie Taylor, the homecoming. It was finally here. But again, credit to her. She didn't want an easy fight. She didn't want a cupcake. She wanted an actual tough opponent. She wanted to make history. So much respect. This is why we love her so much. If it was up to me, and I, I've said the same to Eddie. I said the same to Brian Peters, her manager. Can we just get her mojo back? Let her let her fight someone else. Let her fight someone at 135. But if I'm a Katie Taylor fan, I'm nervous. And uh I'm I'm probably wishing that she, you know, that she went a different route. But I'm 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 probably deep down respecting the fact that she's doing this because this is what made her special all those years. Ariel, we love this game. We love you as well. And all those questions will be answered, of course. Oh, thank you. On, on November 25th. Thanks so much for your time. I can sit here and speak to you all day. Appreciate it very much. Good luck to you all on Saturday. I'll be watching. I can't wait. Anytime you get to watch Anthony Joshua fight, it is special. Again, credit to him for uh, taking the fight on very short notice. And let's see what happens. Hopefully, uh, this leads to the big Wilder fight in a few months. Well, welcome to a new segment of season three of Flash Knockdown. We're calling it Food Fight. And we're joined this week by the legendary Mark Tibbs today to find a little bit out about his dream dinner party lineup, talk a little bit about Johnny Fisher as well. But we're jumping straight in here, Mark. The oven's on. We're at the house, right? You're 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 hosting this dinner party, right? I feel a little bit um, you know, uh, you know, interrogated. Right? <laughs> uh we want to know the four guests that are coming over, right? Yeah. Uh, so four, the, the four, four guests. guests, right? So I'm going to give you the criteria here, Mark. So the first one is one dream guest from the world of boxing. Could be anyone, past or present, fighter, trainer, a person you'd want at the party to speak to, to talk to, to hear stories from, and have them there to spend the evening with you over over a nice meal. Who would that be, do you think, and why? Well, um, there was a lot of mega fighters in the 80s and uh that always sticks in my mind the 80s and sugar ray leonard was 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 the man for me you know i mean Muhammad ali got me boxing but uh sugar ray leonard entertained me right from the start to the end of his career so yeah sugar ray leonard why did Muhammad ali get you into boxing at that stage do you remember why yeah listen what it was i love the way he, he um i was only young myself but i love the way he moved 
he spoke and the way he made rhymes up. He, he, he made uh, like poems, didn't he? What he was going to do and what he weren't going to do to his opponents. And he was just so captivating that, uh, and 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 he 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 got me into into boxing, and I think he got many pe- millions of people into boxing. But and I used to have a junk shop up the road to me where I lived in East Ham in Park Avenue, and uh, I'll never forget. I bought a, um, I think I nicked it actually. It was my uncle's shop. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> you borrowed it. <laughs> I borrowed it. Borrowed it. But I, I had a I had a Muhammad Ali puppet. You know when you put the hand up and. Uh, uh-huh. I think he gave me it, as that, as that happens, yeah. But no, yeah, that would have been worth a little bit of money today if I still had it. What do you think you'd ask him? Uh, Muhammad Ali. Hang on, I thought Mark said he wanted Sugar Ray at his party. <laughs> well, that's right. I thought I went from there to Ali. I, no, who, yeah, Who was yeah. your final decision? Yeah. Who did you want? Well, listen, I would have, uh, it would have been a tough one, you know, because he's such a, such a, he's the king of boxing, isn't he, uh, Muhammad Ali? But as I got into a teenager myself, you know, I looked at, I looked at uh, Sugar Ray Leonard as, um, as, 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 you know, I wouldn't say idol, but because I've got many boxing Boxing idols, but Sugar Ray Leonard was uh, was I was fixated by him and the way same again the way he boxed and the way he fought and you know just his old his old lifestyle I was uh, I was t- taken back by Sugar Ray Leonard and he's going to be my party guest for sure. The next criteria is to follow in the footsteps of Sugar Ray Leonard, an actor, actress from the film world, from a film that means something to you, an actor you'd like to to have alongside you at your dinner party. Well, um, I, as, you know, as I don't get to watch a lot of films lately, and and uh, and, and the films I used to love the movies. Uh, uh, it was called Pictures. We called it Pictures back then. You know, my dad used to take me to the pictures a lot. You know, I love, I love, uh, I love um, all, all, all all sorts of actors, and especially the old ones like Michael Caine, Richard Gere, Al Pacino. Al Pacino, I think, would be uh, my guest though, because um, you know, I loved his his movies. I loved the way he. Um, he projects himself, especially in a film. There was a film called. Now he was in the Godfather. We all love the Godfather, and that's a that's a you know an epic. He played the dev- devil's advocate. It might have been called. He played the devil when he was a lawyer in New York, and he bounced around New York. He's only a little guy, isn't he? He bounced around New York like he owned the place, but he was still under the radar. But when he got in his office, I have to watch the film again. They're talking about this. Uh, I'm sure it was The called, Devil's Advocate, is it? Yeah, yeah. The Devil's Advocate. 1997. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, knowledge. <laughs> but no, I thought that was a, a fantastic film. And, and I have watched that about three times, but I will watch that again. But yeah, Al Pacino, because um, I just uh, think he's, you know, he's a, he, you know, I like watching him do what he does and act. Yeah. Uh, the next criteria, next guest. I mean, you've got two crackers so far in Al Pacino and Sugar Ray. Yeah. This one is music related. A singer, a songwriter, someone from a band. What what music does Mark Tibbs like? Um, do you know what, um, Scott, Jamie? I like, um, I really, really, I really can say I like every kind of music. and But I have to be in the mood for it. Years ago when I was like in my teens, um, my, my my father used to take me to uh, my, my my uncle's house. He had a house in Spain, and do you know what? I used to um, I used to listen to this Spanish music. It was everywhere, but we was in the. Uh, it was everywhere. We used to you know be with like it was more Spanish if you know what I mean. It wasn't very um, not very touristy. commercial commercial yeah. yeah. And it, I used to listen to Julio Iglesias. Okay. Oh mate, oh, that that. <laughs> Hulane Glazius is incredible now. Now, if you can listen to him and 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 you know and just chill out and listen to a bit of Julio, 
he is the absolute governor, honestly. He's beautiful. And do you know what? I, I like to go to Spain when I can and, and, and listen to uh, that kind of music. And uh, I don't know why. I, I can't speak the language. I can understand a little bit, but I just enjoy that Spanish culture and I do like Ule Iglesias, yeah. So he's at the table? He would be. He, I'm not sure if he's still alive, but, you know, he's. Uh, I'd like him at the table, yeah. He's still alive. Is he? Yeah. Oh, well, he'll be honoured to hear this. He has, he has got a son, um, Enrique. Enrique. Yeah. Enrique. Yeah, he has got a son. Enrique. Is that I can be your hero, <laughs> baby? <Yep. laughs> I think he is. I might have to get cut out. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> right. Final segment now. Final guest. Now, this last one, it could be a hero. It could be anyone from any walk of life. A figure from history. Who would you want at your party to speak to and chat to, and why? Past or present. Uh, that's a really, really tough one. Um, do you know what? Um, I did. I was very, very fond of Madonna when she came onto the scene. Okay. So, uh, and a big hit, Like a Virgin, absolutely had me in bits years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I even took my wife or my girlfriend then uh, to, to see her at Wembley Stadium. And uh, yeah, she, she had that little bit of jealous nature about her then, my girlfriend, being so young. But uh, she come along. No, it was good. Uh, no, I think Madonna, um, she's uh, wild and uh, she's experienced now. She's had a life, hasn't she? She's had what, what a life she's had. I was going to say, I bet she can tell a few tales around yeah. the dinner table. Yeah, I bet that'd be a yeah, yeah. crack, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know where, where that come from, Madonna, but uh, I'm just trying to... I, try <laughs> I, that. I like the wild card. It's a good show. <laughs> so Madonna's on the table? Madonna's on the table. Now, Mark, <laughs> you are the host. You're the chef. Yeah. Do you do a bit of cooking? Do like to cook. Yeah, I do. I do like to cook. What's your go-to? What are you cooking for your dream guests? Listen, I can cook anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not sure if you like it, but I can have a go at anything. No, I do like, um, I like seafood. I'm very, very fond of paella. Paella. Seafood paella, yeah. Sure, Mr. Inglésius would be happy with that. Yeah, he would love that. I don't know about Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mark, that's a... Amazing bit of insight, to be fair. Just before we do let you go, Mark, I do want to ask you one question on young Johnny Fisher. Yeah. We can see just out the window here, if we're painting the picture for our listeners, the O2 yeah. Arena yeah. lighting up there in the evening sky here in North Greenwich. If Johnny Fisher can beat Harry Armstrong, for you who's been involved in the sport for his whole life, really, following yeah. obviously in your dad's footsteps, Jimmy Tibbs, if Johnny can hold that Southern Area title above his head in front of 17,000 people on Saturday night, how special would that moment be for you? Super, super, super special because he's a super human being, a lovely uh, uh, human being, gentleman, and uh, and and you. I think you all know how, how hard he works, and uh, or we all work actually to you know to, to to get him where he needs to be. But yeah, it would it would mean the world to me, and uh, I, you know I can't wait to Saturday night. It's a tough tough fight, but um, I have every confidence. I've just finished. Um, Doing a you know, going through one or two things with him, and it just gets better and better. So yeah, but, um, no, it would mean it would mean the world to myself, my dad, Sonny Cannon. He's a he's a he's a good guy. He's a, and he deserves it. Go thank well Saturday, mate, and we'll catch you soon. Thanks, Jamie. All the best, and thank you, Scott. Cheers, Much mate. appreciated. Nice thank one, you. Mate. Well, Dempsey McKean joins us not long to go now just a matter of days before what he's described as an opportunity to change his life 36 minutes to change his life when he collides with Philip Hergovic on Saturday night Dempsey the talking pretty much done we had the press conference today we, we've managed to rope you in to do a quiz which is probably the last thing in the world 
you uh, you want to be doing right now. But in terms of the, the talking nearly being done, is the work done as well now? What, what does a fighter go through in terms of just staying fresh at this stage of fight week? Yeah, literally, I literally just got in through the door just recently. I just finished a good little session with uh, Tony Sims, you know, just sharpen up on a bit of shadow boxing, a bit of pad work, a bit of bag work, you know, nothing too strenuous. Obviously, we're a few days out, hard work's been done. Got a little bit of shadow work tomorrow and some more light stuff just to keep the body moving, really. And then I just rest all day Friday and then showtime Saturday. So I'm not sure if you read too much into the old face offs, Dempsey, but you had a chance today to look into the eyes of Philip Hergovic. Did you see an animal or did you see Philip Hergovic, a man that you believe you can beat this weekend? See another human being stand in front of me, you know, that just wants to win just as much as I do. But, you know, this is the game. I'm hungrier. I've trained harder. I know for a fact I'm going to be coming in better condition, you know. So, you know, I think at this top level, you don't really see too many kinks in the army. You know, we're all top level world rated fighters and, um, you know, uh, good sportsmen that just want to win. And we've, we've all trained hard. He's taken the camp as serious as I have. But, you know, I've, my prep has definitely been better. You know, everything has just been hit, hit, hit. You know, um, I just feel great. I feel I'm in really good condition. And I just see a man that's about to get beat on Saturday. Well, Dempsey, if you could win a world title being a nice bloke alone, I think you'd be <laughs> a world champion. But we we, uh, we definitely wish you the best of luck this weekend, my friend. <laughs> I do have to say, Dempsey, you are the first contestant on our new quiz. So this could be somewhat carnage, I think I'm going to call it. <laughs> it's a bit of a stitch-up. So I apologize <laughs> in advance, um, especially in fight week. But it's for charity, so it's all that's good. Right. I'm hoping you're not going to... You've, you've chosen me, so it's probably definitely going to be carnage, that's for sure. So, <laughs> I think, yeah, I <laughs> a privilege, though. Essentially, uh, what I'm going to do, mate, is pass you over to producer Scott, who's going to explain what on earth the 12-round eliminated challenge actually is, because believe me, mate, I don't even know what it is. So here we go. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Uh, Dempsey, welcome to the 12-round uh, eliminated challenge. You are the first contestant. I'm just going to run over a couple of ground rules, so hopefully you understand, and hopefully the, hopefully the listeners understand as well. So essentially, the quiz is to identify one of your previous opponents. Think of it a little bit like a who am I? There's 12 clues, or 12 rounds in this case, and with each passing round, you lose a point. So you start off on round one with 12 points. So if you get it right after the first round, you score the maximum number of points available to you, 12 points. Get it right in round three, for example, you get 10 points. So it's sort of done on a 12-round a sort of scoring system in boxing. With each round that passes, your score level will go down, assuming you get it right on that round. Now, you only get one guess. So don't go in too quickly here. If you get it, yeah. wrong, if you get it wrong at any point, it's nil point, nothing scored, I'm afraid. All right. The idea is when you get to the championship rounds, a little bit later on, some of the questions are a little bit easier. And I suppose the only other thing to say is you do get a, a bonus lifeline, which you can call upon at any stage, which I will then hand you back over to Jamie to dish out the bonus lifeline. Just for transparency, I don't actually have a clue what the lifeline is. So hopefully it works in your favor, but it might not. You never know. So just, just give you the answer straight up, I think. I think that's <laughs> what the lifeline is. So we, We'll hopefully find out. So Yeah, just a reminder, we're essentially looking for one of your previous opponents is the answer here. So Dempsey McKean, if you are ready, we will start with round one. I'm ready. Fire Dempsey, away. Dempsey, I will just say that a, a, an owl has just flown, flown through my window and dropped off a brown envelope, <laughs> which I, I assume must be the lifeline. So, All right. <laughs> Can we just start with the lifeline straight away, please? <laughs> <laughs> is that your final answer? <laughs> All right, let's, All right, go. let's so, go. Round Excellent. one. Okay. I have never boxed 
outside of Australia or New Zealand. Okay. Next round? Next round. My professional debut was at the Irish Club in Brisbane. Oh, I don't even know where that is. Sounds good, though. Definitely next question. For my last fight, I shared a card with both Lucas Brown and Jay Opatire. Hmm. Shared a card with them. Um... Don't forget, you can uh, always use a lifeline or you can move to the next round. Yeah, can I use a lifeline and then if I don't get that, I can still go to the next question anyway? Correct, yeah. It's just a bonus okay. lifeline. Right, hold on, All right. Um, you, you want to use the lifeline, Demps, do you? No, you're not really comforting me on that lifeline thing right now. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's shoot to the next question. I'll okay. keep that on, Demps. Round four, I have a losing record. All right, next question. Round number five, I hit the big 4-0 next July. So they turn 40 next July. I think I know who it is. Oh, but I do you, I know. if you get it wrong, you are out. I know. Um, Maybe your lifeline, Dems. Come on. You can't if you do it. guess now, Dems, if you do guess now and get it right, you'll get eight points. Eight points. Let's go one more. Let's go one more, and then I'll use the lifeline if I need it. Interesting. Okay, so round number six. I have three draws on my record. Oh, shit. Oh, it's a curveball. Three draws. Who would that be? Can I use a lifeline, please? <clears throat> Jamie, I'm, I'm pulling you in here. I'm hoping, okay, you've got some, I'm hoping you've got some good material for me. So I don't know if you can hear this, but I'm just opening the, just opening the envelope there. There we go. The envelope's open. Yeah. Okay, just so you know, Dempsey, I also didn't know what this lifeline was, and sometimes they may be good, and I imagine sometimes they will be bad. It's a blank piece of paper, isn't it? This lifeline is, I am a former WBF Asia Pacific heavyweight champion. All right. I don't know if that's any good, to wow. be honest. I don't think it is. Shouldn't have let the L in. Um, Next round? Yeah, we're going to have to, because I've got, I've got a... I've got a thought on it. Round seven. My dad boxed for the IBF super middleweight world title. One of my former opponents. That's their father. That's their father. What was the quick? What was the um the hint again? What the IBF? The WBF Asia WBF weight championship. So that was the the hint. That was that was the hint. Yeah. The last question was: My dad has boxed for the IBF world super middleweight title. Trying to think. This doesn't sound familiar at all. I should have probably paid attention to some of my uh, opponents. To be fair, the first, the first sort of uh, two thirds of the of the questions are are, are difficult. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, we're, gonna have to, we're gonna have to go to another hint here. I think. No, no worries. Yeah. Round number eight. I haven't won in fifteen fights now. In fights. Ah. Oh. So still four more to go after this, by the way. So I think you're playing the right tactic here because I think people, as the as the the show goes on, I think people will go early, lose, and and they're out. So I think points on the board could be key here. Yeah, just to clarify things, I've just finished training, so I've got a little bit of brain fog. You know, so that (laughs) is my defence right now. So we're going to move on to the next hint, and uh, I've got a good feeling about this one. Hang on, Dempsey, I can hear you typing something on a keyboard. (laughs) That was me bumping the wall, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Let's uh, let's, let's roll on the next question. I've got a good feeling about this one. Next question is, I've boxed Junior Farr and also David Light. Uh, uh, I know the answer. Are you sure? I'm ready to lock it in. 
lock it in, Eddie. Lock it in. And okay. you know, who wants to be a millionaire? Eddie Maguire. So uh, that's from getting from lock it in, Eddie. The Australian who wants to be a millionaire. I've got the answer. I'm ready to take home the bacon. I think I know who it is. Let's hear it. It's Hunter Sam. Correct. Yes. Well done. You have a winner. I think. To be honest, I, I could have got that after probably the first two, but I wanted to just drag the show out a little bit more. I think we'll um, we'll update you as the show goes on in the coming weeks. I think that will you'll be surprised. I think that will be uh, a decent score, genuinely. Yeah. Was that number nine, round nine, or ten? Yeah, so ten points. Yeah, number nine. So the last Lovely. three questions, just for transparency, were my last knockout win was against the Northern Irish heavyweight Scott Belshaw. Number eleven, we boxed twice as a professional. And then the last question would have yep. been, if you swap my surname, it might sound more like an actual name. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. That's good. Hey, Dempsey, my final question uh, before we let you go, mate, and we catch up with you with the weigh-in. At, yeah. the, uh, at the press conference today, Derek Jazora, as always, was a bit of fun, but his exact words were, the big Southpaw Australian guy, I don't know a lot about him. Was that a bit insulting? I think he knows who I am as well. I think he was probably trying to talk more on a personal level, as he knew everyone on a personal level, but he's definitely seen me around the traps now. I don't have much to do with him personally. I'm just kind of... Bumped into him a couple of times from then on, but I think he did say, um, but he is a good fighter. I think that's what he finished with as well. But, you know, is what it is. He can be him. He liked to waffle and, and talk a bit of shit today, and I kind of got a bit bored after about the 10-minute mark of him just rambling on. I think Eddie wanted to kind of cut him off a little bit, but I think he was might have been afraid a couple overhand rights might have come back at him. So, But, hey, it's Derek Chisora. It's, uh Yeah, he's a good laugh anyway, isn't he? Well, I've just texted Derek telling him that you've got the hunt with him. <laughs> Bring it on, mate. Bring it on. <laughs> MC, thanks so much for your time, mate. Uh, four points on the leaderboard, getting us started in the 12-round eliminator quiz. We look forward to our next contestant. But until then, Dempsey McKean, massive best wishes to you this weekend, my friend, and thanks for your time. Bye. June the 1st, 2019. A night Anthony Joshua might want to forget, but one that those of us who were ringside at Madison Square Garden simply cannot. And history being repeated this week with Joshua facing a substitute opponent in a drug-related controversy. Back then, it was Andy Ruiz, the substitute for the American Jarrell Miller. And Ruiz could hardly have been dismissed more emphatically by fans and by media alike. And again... Not unlike now, much of the talk in the build-up was around Joshua and Deontay Wilder and a potential fight later in the year, only for Ruiz to trash all of those plans. The first media event of Fight Week was a reception in a plush lounge up on the 14th floor of a hotel in downtown Manhattan. And I was working for BBC Five Live at the time. We recorded a podcast every day of Fight Week. And on that Monday, we interviewed Joshua and Ruiz, and I remember we were struck by how relaxed Ruiz was. He strolled over to us in our position at one end of the balcony outside the lounge where it was all happening, and he leant over the balcony and just spat into the ether. And we were thinking, make yourself a home, mate. And the following day, we were down close to the site of the 9-11 attacks and a huge concourse set up for the public workouts. I'd seen... Ruiz on video but never in the flesh and I was struck by how quick he seemed for a heavyweight and after the fight that was one of those clues that we reflected on in our post-fight review. 
The press conference later in the week was held in a famous old theatre uptown. There was a lot of discussion then about how Ruiz seemed to be really happy just to be photographed with Joshua's world title belt draped across his arms and how that was confirmation for many that Ruiz was simply happy to be part of the show. For me on that day, it was the first time that I was troubled by the aura around the Joshua camp, even though those concerns were never enough for me to suggest that such a seismic shock was about to happen. Before the press conference got underway, I interviewed Joshua in a small room in the bowels of the theatre, and I noticed that he had a sty in one of his eyes, which can always be an indication of something more serious. And later, when I clambered up onto the stage to talk to Ruiz, I passed someone very significant in the Joshua camp, and he said to me, I'll be glad when this is all over. And after the press conference, we wandered a couple of blocks down to the Dakota apartments where John Lennon was murdered in 1980, and we recorded the latest of our podcasts directly across the road in the Strawberry Fields Memorial to him in Central Park. The weigh-in was staged in Madison Square Garden itself, and we were joined by Paulie Malinaji for that, and he warned Joshua to be wary of Ruiz's left hook. Again, he stopped short of predicting the big upset to come, but it's another of those moments that you look back on and realise the clues were there if only you'd heeded them. I said all of this to my son, who was on holiday in New York with one of his pals at the time, and he said to me, Dad, you don't have to pretend that this is a competitive fight. You don't have to do the big sell. I've bought the tickets and I'm going anyway. And and that seemed to be the prevailing sense at the time going into fight day. And that Saturday coincided with the Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham in Madrid. And the game kicked off our time mid-afternoon in New York. And a lot of the English fans and media in town caught the game in bars close to the garden before heading over for the fight. And that night I was presenting, interviewing and commentating. And that turned into the... One of the biggest tests of my entire career because of that range of duties and the length of the broadcast, which eventually spanned around four hours. Alongside me, Steve Bunce, Carl Frampton and David Hay. And I remember as the main event unfolded, they were leaping up and down in keeping with the epic drama of the fight. And to see two established world champions so giddy at what was happening in front of us was a clear indication that we were witnessing something special. And in commentary on such occasions, it's hard to stay composed in terms of description. But I learned very early on in my career from an old producer, when you feel like rushing through your words, slow down. And that's a tenet that really came in handy on that particular night. I remember as we came off air, we waited in the long corridor outside the vast dressing rooms and I saw Ruiz leaving his to head to the press conference and I managed to record an interview with him in a service elevator as he and his team made their way to the conference room. Joshua's dressing room had separate doors. It was a massive dressing room and those doors were a long way apart. So me and Steve Bunce operated a kind of pincer movement to make sure we didn't miss him leaving. Bunce it was who got him in the end. And before leaving the arena, I stayed behind for a couple of minutes just to take in what had happened. I've often done that in the past. So I walked along the short gangway from the dressing rooms into the heart of the Madison Square Garden floor and saw that the ring had already been dismantled by now. It was about two o'clock in the morning and the arena staff were 
resetting the furniture for a Billy Joel concert on the Sunday, which struck me that life was going on. The world was still turning, despite what we were feeling at the time. And looking back now, four years on, it's such a special night because one of my earliest memories of boxing is my dad waking me before school to tell me that Muhammad Ali had been beaten by Joe Frazier in the fight of the century in 1971. And that 10-year-old kid lying in bed could never have known what was to come in his life. Try telling him that he would one day be ringside in the same Madison Square Garden, commentating on a world heavyweight title fight with an ending that people would talk about for years to come. Well, every now and then we have the treat of having an in-house member of staff on the show. For the fans who remember the ventures into Europe and beyond, Mm. Italy, Spain, you may recognise this voice from the press conferences day of Milan and Rome. It's our colleague known in-house as RG, CMO. Can you, what is it, Chief Marketing Officer, Ross? That's the one. Uh, Welcome, how are you? Pretty good. And also, I never do this sort of thing, so... This is like a massive exclusive. Yeah. Ross, got to ask you, first of all, the Italian ventures, Spanish ventures, great days, in the words of that great Lee Selby promo you produced many years back. That sounded a bit scouse. um, He's going a bit niche with the office banter there, aren't you? Do you you miss these days? Yeah. The days of Europe? They were great. I mean, I don't miss having to do top tables and, you know, pigeon Italian. Build rings? If you know me, I'll do anything. So, yeah, I was building rings, facing press conferences, doing weigh-ins a lot apart from you know fighting but um yeah they were good i think hopefully in the future we'll look at it again well one thing i do want to talk to you about boxing fans i'm sure would have seen across the matchroom boxing social media over the last week or so the launch of canvas our first magazine here we go as a man who is uh, exactly as a man who's been very much at the forefront of this operation can you just tell everyone what exactly is Canvas and what's it about? Sorry, I keep talking over you. Don't That's me. all right, you'll get used to it. This is my baby. So this is born from, it's really a passion project of mine that I've had for years that, just a bit of context, obviously I worked for Matrim nearly 10 years now. Um, Your testimonial. Jeez, yeah. Do you get a watch? October. <laughs> we'll, play a game, we'll play a game of five aside on the lawn or something. Yeah, a literal kettle, I think. And you know, I'm kind of, well, the, the boy, everyone makes fun of me for being a bit arty, creative, whatever. But I just have felt that from a media perspective, boxing's missing a bit of a trick. And it doesn't have, in terms of print, anything that's really pleasing to own, a little bit more, I don't know, sophisticated, um, lifestyle, something a bit, slower I guess that looks at the stories inside outside around the sport you know touches on fashion art everything in boxing is very vertical in terms of boxing 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 news boxing monthly which obviously are really important for the sport but I don't know there's nothing that's a bit more nuanced I guess that other sports are doing you know like football it's got gaffer and others um green soccer journal like that was something years ago that was that was different for football and I think help start to change the like landscape commercially boxing you know has a bigger problem it's it's sort of tarred with a brush that sometimes we could just do a better pr job ourselves this is sort of i think feeds into that this started as a passion project something that i was into that i didn't really know how to get off the ground bringing it under kind of a matrim umbrella if you like actually gave it a route 
to market and Canvas has been born. So it's, yeah, it's a biannual print publication, 200 pages plus, really good storytelling, really good writing, amazing photography. I should say actually Tom Cockrum, who's a friend of mine, really amazing photographer. He's been kind of, he had the same idea, I guess. And between us, we sort of, of you know, partnered, if you like, and, and made it happen. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's, that's it. It's up and running. It's been uh, way harder than I thought. I thought, this whole thing would take you know a month or two, and it's probably taken well over a year. Um, but yeah, I'm just pleased it's finally in in people's hands. Do you think the boxers are also enjoying showing different sides of their interests and their life? And why do you think that is also important in them building a fan base off the back of that? Yeah, so I think a lot of fighters are already doing that. The media landscape in boxing doesn't really cater to it. Hence why take someone like Ramla Ali one of our three cover stars, um, for issue one. You know, she's working with the likes of Off-White, Dior, Alexandra McQueen, like all these amazing brands that everybody knows. That story or whatever doesn't really have a place in the current boxing media landscape, in my view. Fighters have really interesting stories. That's why, like, it's so rich with stories and personalities. That's why I always say, like, all the best sport films tend to be, you know, boxing related because because it offers that um and this is hopefully a home for that type of thing so i'm a bit bored of just telling you know reading something about the latest result or someone sparring or who someone's fighting next um the idea with this is yeah just to look at more of a, a cultural like place for for these sort of stories so um we'll see but uh I'm really excited. I think hopefully the reception for it has been okay. A few old school boxing journalists who aren't so sure, but I think as soon as people actually hold it, they kind of start to get it. Well, it's a great read. There's a great story in, in issue one called Tales of the Tape. Oh, here we go. <laughs> with Stitch Duran, the legendary Fox. Stitch Duran, the friend of the podcast, written by yours truly, your host. I think my favourite segment, Ross, was the, the photos of Madison Square Garden, actually. Mm, yeah. Do you want to just talk to us about that, maybe? So... This is a photographer that we um, found, a guy called Thomas Pryor, who in his own right, you know, hugely successful, based in New York. Um, this is what I'm finding. It's like people who are already excelling in what they do, be it, you know, from a journalist point of view or creative like pursuit, but that just happen to be a boxing fan and therefore are really into it. So this guy, we met in New York around the Belanga fight and the idea was to, you know, get inside and get under the hood, I guess, of, of MSG a bit and just take some really beautiful photography of, of a very historic building that means a lot to boxing fans and boxing generally. And yeah, that's like a 15, that's a, a massive feature in, in the magazine and um, his work's amazing and I think it's come out really, it's come out really good. So yeah, that's one of my favourite too. Well, Canvas, issue one, available via the Matram Boxing website, of course, Ross Garrity. Chief Marketing Officer of Match and Boxing Global or UK? I just don't want to insult you. We're a global company now, mate. So, okay, you know. fair. Touche. Uh, Ross, great <laughs> to catch up. Uh, as I said before, urge all boxing fans to purchase the issue number one of Canvas. A great read, an interesting read, many more exciting projects in the making. But for now, Ross Garrity, thanks for joining us. Cheers, guys. Well, thanks, as always, for listening to Flash Knockdown. Thanks to producer Scott, and thanks to our guests as well. Mark Tibbs, Ariel Helwani, Dempsey McKean, Mike Costello, and our very own Ross Garrity. Don't miss AJ versus Robert Hellanius live on the zone this Saturday from the O2, supported by a heavy-duty slice of undercard action. Derek Chisora returns, Hergovic versus McKean, Johnny Fisher versus Harry Armstrong. Campbell Hatton opens the live show at 7pm UK time. Catch the Before the Bell action, as always, across Matram YouTube with George Liddard, 
Brandon Scott and Maisie Rose Courtney opening the show at the O2 Arena from 5.15pm. 